You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the river. Last week, I began to minister on the fact that when you're born again, failure is never final. And I want to explain to you, before we get into the scriptures, about that. In life, many times we have what people call regrets. And regrets is when you make a decision in the past that has a very negative result in the present for you. And many people go through life and they regret making this decision or that decision. And I'm, tonight what I'm going to show you is that the only time that failure seems final is when you have that worldly perspective about regret. I've, t- I've, I've talked to women who have had abortions, who felt like all the trouble they're having right now in their life was a result of a decision they made by there. I've talked to people who have committed adultery and married someone else, and they have this regret that constantly follows them. But understand what the Bible tells us about regret. It says that worldly sorrow produces death, but godly sorrow is not to be regretted of. Now, the difference is this. Godly sorrow, you feel bad, but you felt bad to the degree that you changed. Can you say amen? And the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow is worldly sorrow is ongoing where you continually and continually beat yourself up over the mistakes that you've made in your life. And when you do that, here's what happens. It produces death in your life. And it causes your failures to feel like they're final, that your life will never be the same, that you'll never be blessed and highly favored. And it just isn't true. I like to say this. Stop beating yourself up. God is fully aware of the fact that we are human and we're going to make mistakes. And he loves us unconditionally even when he knows you're going to slip up, fall down, stumble, swear, do the wrong. He knows that. But his love is everlasting towards you. And so what I want you to say tonight is this. Failure is not going to be final in my life. Because I'm going to stay positive and believe God, learn from my mistakes, press in, and have the great life that God has called me to have because he called me to have an abundant life in Christ Jesus. Now, right there, we should preach ourselves happy right there. Come on, church, because we've all got mistakes. Amen? But let's take a look over some scriptures here. Look with me over the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to look at the f- uh, verse 2 down to verse 5. And then verse 11, I want you to see this. Grace be to you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Now watch this, next part. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, go down to verse 11 now and look at this. In him, say in him, him. 
also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who worked all things according to the counsel of his will. Now in those two verses or those set of verses, it says that we were chosen in him from the foundation of the world. Now what that means is that before time was made, created, God had a plan that he planned for us. And it says he chose us. Now, a lot of people think that the choosing takes place and you're not a participant of it uh, because you didn't, weren't existing at that point. But I want you to look at it this way. It'd be like this. Because he says he chose us in him. Say in him. It would be like me saying, okay, this coming week at church, Everyone that shows up, I'm going to give you a free vacation to Maui, all expenses paid. And so anyone that shows up on Sunday then for that event were chosen to receive that gift and to receive a predetermined plan that they could take their family and go to Maui and go on the beach and have a good time. Can you say amen? That's what it means when it says that you were chosen. But understand the power of God's choice. Jesus said this, as many as receive me, I give them power to become the children of God. And every children of God is chosen. But all this was planned out in the beginning when there was the Father and the Son, or we would say the Word, because Jesus hadn't become flesh yet, and the Holy Spirit. And they got together and realized that you would screw up. And so they, Jesus said, well, I'll go, I'll put on flesh, and I will die for their sins, and then everyone that believes on me is chosen for the inheritance that we've planned out from the foundation of the world for them. Hallelujah. Now, that's good news, really good news. But here's the part that I want you to see. You're chosen. When you study Scripture, always remember this. Anyone that is chosen is specially empowered by God to prosper in whatever situation you're in. That's why the 144,000 in the book of Revelation that are, that are during the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist can't touch them because they're anointed by God to succeed at preaching the gospel during that seven-year period of time, and nothing can stop it. The power of God is there. You, whether you're a pastor, whether you're an evangelist, whether you're just a disciple of the Lord, you are chosen by God, which means there is an, there is an ability in you to succeed in, other, in many areas that people would consider you're a complete failure in. And to give you an example of this in Scripture, remember the story of Moses where he says, I want to put Aaron in charge of the priesthood. And all the other families started complaining and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, our family could be priests too. What makes you think your has to be in your family? And so Moses, having obviously some wisdom, said, tell you what, you take the staffs from your 12 different tribes and I want you to bring it to me. And I'm going to take these staffs that these men used. And we're going to lay it next to the ark of God all night long. And we'll let God choose the ones, the family that is going to be the high priest. So the next morning he goes in there and all the rods are normal except for the rod of Aaron. 
It had a branch that was growing out of it. It had leaves and it had fruit. And it hadn't been planted in the ground, hadn't been watered. In other words, God's choice brings supernatural fruit in your life. God's choice makes you into a winner. That's why I say failure is never final for an anointed person of God. Someone who's called by God, there is an anointing that gives them the ability to supernaturally be fruitful in every situation in your life. And there is a predetermined plan of salvation that God planned from the foundation of the world that that anointing or the chosen have an opportunity to top, tap into it. So even though you made some mistakes, even though maybe you said the wrong things, even though maybe you've not been the best husband or the wife or the best employer or the best businessman, the anointing in your life can take your failures and turn them into successes. You can be a success at whatever God leads you in in your life. And you got to remember that. And it's because you're chosen. I don't know about you, but I remember growing up as a kid, my, my dad really ne never had time to play baseball with me or anything, so I was really never good at sports. And I'll never forget that I still bothers me to this day. I went out, he says, you need to play baseball. And I said, well, I don't know how to play baseball. So he threw a few balls, and he said, just go out and do it. So I remember I went there, and they had tryouts. So I'm ready. The guy hits the ball out there. I run out there, and I miss it. Hits it again, I miss it. So when they were choosing teams, I got stuck on the losing team because I wasn't that good. God chose you and said, okay, they're losers, but I'm going to make them into winners. I'm not choosing losers. I'm choosing winners. I'm choosing people that I'm going to equip with power. I'm choosing people that can prevail. I'm choosing people that my spirit will be mighty in them. I'm choosing people that are going to do the impossible. I'm choosing people that will trust in me. Praise God. And that's you if you've accepted Christ as your Savior. Hallelujah. So I think we needed to start with that. And I want to tell you something about God. God doesn't believe in failing. Think about the parable of the hundred sheep. And it says one of the sheep out of the hundred was lost. And it says the shepherd left the 99 and one after the one that was lost. Now, I don't know about you, but you look at numbers, you think, hey, wait a minute. One lost out of 99, you're still a winner. God said, no, I'm not a winner unless I get all of them. God wants every believer to succeed at whatever they put their hand to do. He doesn't want any losers. He doesn't well, I'm, you know, if you look at the average, I'm doing good. No, 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 no. He wants everyone to win at whatever he leads them in. Woo, come on now, church. Get happy. This is good preaching. Now, one of the things, in fact, I heard this one time from a preacher, and this is no slam on him, but he was preaching out of Romans where it says, to wake to your salvation, he says, we're nearer now to salvation than we were when we first believed. And he took that verse and said, you know, listen, I'm working on getting saved, but I won't be saved until the end. In other words, his idea was that... You don't have eternal life until you 
overcome in this life and follow God all the way to the end, which is wrong view. But he used that verse. It says your salvation is near, which means it isn't here yet. But that verse is talking about the salvation of the body and perhaps the soul when Paul said that. Because the Bible says that one day your body is going to be resurrected into an incorruptible body. It also says in 1 Corinthians 13 that we will fully know him as he has fully known us, which means the renewing of the mind will be completed when we see Jesus face to face. But your spirit, this is the part I want you to see, is saved as far as safe can be. In other words, if you're born again, you're as saved as possible that you could be in your life. Your spirit inside is birthed of God. God's Holy Spirit is inside of you. And that part of you can't be saved anymore than it is right now. That's why 1 John, it says that we have eternal life right now, not later. And that explains why it says in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How are you going to work it out if you don't have it? If it's something that's still to come, how can you work it out? You've got to understand that within you is everything that you need to win in your life. It's already within you. We've got to work it out in faith. We've got to work it out in obedience. But it's already within you, everything that you need. And I'm going to give you a revelation to this. The Bible says that God will never leave you or forsake you. What does that mean? It means he's going to stay in your corner even when you don't want him in the corner. He's going to be with you even when you're not in a good mood. He's going to be with you on the low times as well as the high times. He's going to be with you when you think everything's fine, when everything's not fine. He'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm talking about people born again. Now, the life of Abraham proves that God won't give up on your success. When you study the life of Abraham, you know that he was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees, which is a, a, a pagan thing that worshiped the moon or whatever. And he went out, followed God. And it says in, in Genesis 12, 2, I believe it is, down to verse 4, it says in the text that God said, I'm going to bless you. But it caused you to become a blessing. But then he made this statement, which is very important. He says, and I'm going to cause a great nation to come out of you. That was in Genesis 12. 25 years later, the reality of that, the faith to get that, it took to happen. 25 years later. You remember the in-between time, what happened? Sarah got antsy about having a baby. Well, I'm, no, if I don't have a baby, I'm going to die. Now, obviously, I'm paraphrasing the text. And says, I want you to sleep with my bondservant. At least she'll have a baby, and I'll be able to take care of people. I'll be able to change the diapers, do all that. And Abraham, being stupid, said, oh, that's fine. I'll sleep with her if that's what you want. The child came forth, and there was nothing but division in the family because God had a plan that would come from Sarah and Abraham. And then if you read the story, it's so powerful. God speaks to Abraham 25 years later because he won't give up. And he says to him, he says this, he says, I, he says you're going to have a child out, you know, from your own family here, not from the bond servant, but from your wife. 
And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to change your name from Abram to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. And change Sarah's name to Sarah, which means princess. In other words, the name represented the confession that God has. And you all know the verse. Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I have called you the father of many nations. Amen? In the presence of whom who he believed, God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. And against hope, believed in hope. You know the verse. Here's the point. Abraham needed that revelation to turn failure into success. He had to begin to speak like God speaks. He had to say, if Abraham hadn't obeyed God and started to confess what God said, it never would have happened. You have to sometimes start to confess what God says about you, even if it doesn't make any sense. Even if you don't, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? If you do what God says to do, he will bring forth the revelation that you didn't need in your life and give you the breakthrough. And, and you'll find this all through the Old Testament. Whenever there was a miracle needed and, and failure was happening to a person's life, the way they turned it around was by calling those things which are, or calling those things which are not as though they were. In other words, calling it as if it's a true before it actually becomes true in material sense. They would do that over and over again. The, one of my favorite stories is Jacob. Jacob, the name Jacob means deceiver. Jacob deceived his brother out of his birthright and in his inheritance. His brother was so mad about it that he wanted to kill his brother, and he had to flee for his life because his brother wanted to kill him. Well, years afterwards, after God had prospered Jacob, his brother found out he was in the area, and he says, I'm going to come and visit him with 400 men. You don't bring an army to your house if you plan on just having lunch with them. He was planning on killing Jacob. And Jacob was a little bit nervous about it. He didn't have an army. Had a lot of wealth, but not an army. But you know what he did? He wrestled, the Bible said, with the angel of the Lord, which is pre-incarnate Christ. He wrestled with God. And he wouldn't let go of God until God blessed him. And here's how God blessed him. He said, from now on, you're, you're no longer Jacob. Now you're Israel. Listen to what Israel means. One that prevails with God and prevails with man. Soon as he confessed that, called those things which Peter on as though they were, then when his brother showed up, a love must have come over his brother, and he didn't destroy his brother at all. They hugged, they had some fellowship, that was it. But his intention was to kill him. God took Jacob's mistakes and turned them into successes by calling those things which be not as though they were. Hallelujah. Another way that he does it is he told Jacob, your wages are going to be spotted and speckled sheep. So when Jacob was watching the animals uh, mate, 
He cut strips of sticks and stripped it so that it looked spotted and speckled and put it around the area that they were mating so that when he looked at them, he saw them as spotted and speckled sheep. And, and the angel told him that so that he could get increase when he was failing financially. You can get increase when you're failing financially if you can envision the increase that God has promised you anywhere. But if you can't see it yet, you'll never possess it yet. And everybody said amen. amen. Now, I want you to get a little bit worked up tonight. Amen. I'm not going to let you go to sleep. I'm going to wake you up. Do you have any idea what I just told you? I'm sharing with you that God can take your failures and turn them into your successes. And you don't have to allow the failures in your life to, to be the, the title of your life or to, to be how you end up in your life. You don't have to do that at all. You can learn these revelations from God and you can practice them and God can turn it around because God doesn't want any one of his sheep failing, any one of his sheep lost, any one of his sheep failing at what... God has offered them. He wants all of us to succeed. Hallelujah. Now, write this down. This is Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. This is going to help a lot of you right now. In the Bible, there is a lot said about how people's lives affect other people. And to give you an example of this, my wife, her mother almost drowned in the ocean, an ocean accident. And there was a long-haired kid on the beach that saved her life. And after she was revived, he was gone. We don't know if it was an angel or whatever. But imagine what would have happened if my wife's mother had died and she wasn't born. I may not even be saved tonight because she prayed in faith for me. She said, God, give him a job and save him. I don't know what order it was. And it was her prayers that got me saved. So what would have happened if her mother had died prematurely and she couldn't have been born? It, it would have affected me. Are you listening to me? Now, I'm sharing this with you because Paul goes out of his way to show how one man's sin affected all mankind and how one man, Jesus Christ, came into this world, affects us in a positive way that makes us into winners no matter what we're going through. And in the, that text, it says this, Therefore... Just as sin entered the world. It says, therefore, just as sin by one man entered the world, then it says this. It says, and death through sin for all sin. And then it goes down and he says this in the next verse. He says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam, hallelujah, to Moses, even over those who did not sin according to the trespasses of Adam. And then it says, who is a type of the one to come. He's talking about Jesus. Notice what he's saying. He's saying that people in this planet 
are born sinners not because they sinned. They're born sinners because Adam sinned. He was the federal representative of all mankind. All of his offspring received spiritual death when they were born into this planet. And then he takes and he says that the free gift is different than the offense. It's better. And he starts talking about Jesus in that fifth chapter and starts saying how this gift of Jesus, when, when you receive Christ, oh, glory to God, when you receive Christ, something very special happens to you, much greater than what happens when you're born in this planet without Christ. In other words, sin does not have the magnitude effect on a person from the first Adam as the righteousness of God from Jesus has on those who believe now. Do you, I, 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 don't know how far, I don't know how far to go with this thing, but I, people don't get this. Do, do you understand? Jesus made it possible for you to be made righteous. But you weren't made righteous because of anything that you did. You were made righteous because you believed in Jesus. Now listen to what I'm saying. That means that nothing that you do can undo the righteousness of God that is in your heart. Nothing, 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 nothing that you do can undo it. No bad attitude, no losing your temper, no wandering eyes, none of those things can undo what Jesus did for you when you believed on him. Because the gift didn't come because you worked for it or earned it. It was a free gift. The price was paid by Jesus. Now, I know that's a very powerful statement when you say that nothing you can do can undo it. The righteousness of God remains the same because it came as a free gift and came from Jesus. But I can also prove that if you're really born again, you won't be living the same way you lived when you didn't know Jesus. In other words, if you're living just like the sinner, you're not saved. Because when you receive the righteousness of God in you, your spirit man doesn't sin anymore. Your soul does, your body does, but your spirit inside. That's why in 1 John 3, 7, it says that whoever is born of God does not sin and he cannot sin because the seed of Christ is in him. Let me make it simple. If you take a spring that is springing up water, you can throw mud in it, but the spring will make it pure again eventually. If you take a mud puddle, put mud in it, it's going to get more defiled, more defiled, more defiled, more defiled, more defiled, more and people that don't have Christ are a mud puddle. But when you become a Christian, you're a spring of leading water that springs up. That means even when you're not doing the right thing, there's still that righteousness inside of us that is bubbling up inside of us and purifying us. That's why Christians don't habitually sin. Do you understand that? And I wanted you to see that because it means that once Jesus resurrected 
on high and sat down, the Bible calls him the last Adam. That means there'll never be one after him. Why is that? Because what he accomplished on the cross and the resurrection never needs to be repeated again. Because in his humanity, he could be tempted. In Jesus' deity, you can't be tempted. God cannot be tempted. But in his humanity, he could be tempted. And it says that he was tempted in all points like we are. And he succeeded where we fail. But when he was resurrected, his human body was deified. And his humanity was deified. That means that Jesus is seated in heavenly places. And that means he is the representative of mankind. And every, all of his children that are begotten of him have an everlasting righteousness that is not sustained by what we do. It's sustained by what he did. And that's why there's always spiritual life in the believer. There's always spiritual life in the believer. Even when you're being stupid, there's still spiritual life inside of you. That's why we can't fail. That's why failure is never final because we're alive unto God and our lives have been altered and the relationship that we have with God is stirring that revelation in life. I realize it's a little bit wild, but that's exactly what happens. And that's what John, uh, uh, Paul's talking about here because he wants to get the people to a place where their faith is winning. And it wins when you learn who you are in Christ. Think about a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. It doesn't cost anything. Cost Jesus everything, but not you anything. If I went out and bought your family uh, an SUV, paid cash for it, gave it to you, gave you the title, did you know the bank can never repossess that car? Because nobody owes on it. I said, no one owes on it. No one can repossess what God gave you. No one owes on it. Jesus paid for it. It's been paid free and clear. You got the title. Faith is the title of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Boy, I tell you what, that's good shouting ground if you ask me. But I wanted you to see that because I think sometimes we miss that. Now let me bring you to part of the message because I got to hurry. That I think is really important if we're going to turn our failures into successes. And that is this one truth. The importance of hearing the word. Say hearing the word. Now I'm talking about how faith comes. It doesn't come because you got Christian stickers on your car. It doesn't come because you have a big fat Bible on your coffee table. It doesn't come because you have Christian friends. It comes by hearing and a word about Christ. In other words, if you take this word and you go into it and people start to show you Jesus in this Bible, faith comes. It doesn't come by the history of the Bible. It doesn't come from Greek words. It comes from seeing Jesus in the scriptures. Can you say amen? (coughs) Now, You say, why why is this important? It's important for this reason. In today's church, preachers are preaching less than they've ever preached before. Because people don't put an importance on hearing the word. They put an importance on doing things. 
But here's the problem. You can do things and not do them in faith. You can give money and give to the poor and everything else and not believe that it's going to come back to you pressed down, shaking, and running over. You can tithe and not believe that God's going to open up the windows of heaven for you. You can do that. God doesn't want you doing things outside of faith. Anything you do that's not in faith is sin. So whether we're forgiving people, whether we're sowing a seed in someone, God wants us to have faith. Whether we're praying in faith for something, God wants us to have faith for that. And you can't get that if you don't hear the word. And a lot of people say, well, I heard it. No, faith comes by hearing. It don't come when you were desperate and it ends there. It comes by hearing. And I know this. I've had people die on me. I told them, listen, what you need to do is you need to be in the Word all day long. So I go over to their house and they're watching TV all day. They end up dying. You can't, you can't get faith by watching TV. You get faith by hearing the Word. The hearing is so important because here's the difference. You can do things and don't do them in faith. But you can't have faith without eventually doing something. So hearing is, is paramount for us. That we would hear the word, 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 hear the promises of God. And then faith begins to work inside. See, it says this, without faith it's impossible to please God. For you must believe that he is God and that he is what? A rewarder of those who what? Occasionally listen to him. Diligently seek him. There's something about diligently hearing the word. When I first got saved, I saw this immediately. I remember in those days I bought a cassette player. They didn't have what they have now. Cassette player. And I would spend $10 a week putting batteries in it. And I'd play it all the way to work. Play it all the way back from the job. And I would go to sleep at night and put headphones on and listen to the word. Because I understood that faith comes by hearing. It doesn't come because someone laid hands on me. It comes because I hear. God speaks to us through his word. And Paul rebuked the church who was getting involved with what you do more than what you hear. In Galatians, when he said this, he said, who bewitched you? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit by the hearing of faith? Because they were thinking, I'll just do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. And Paul said, hold, hold the boat here. You've got to get faith. You've got to be hearing the word to get healed. Hearing the word to serve right. Did you know you can't even forgive somebody without faith? You know why people don't forgive? Because they don't believe they're actually forgiven themselves. I'll guarantee you tonight that if you don't believe that you're forgiven right now, I don't care what you've done. If you don't believe that God has forgiven you of your sin, you're going to have a problem with people. And you're, you might tell them that you forgave them, but you haven't forgiven them. Because you can't forgive others until you've been forgiven. You got the revelation that God has forgiven me because of that. I can forgive that idiot. Because God forgive this idiot. Amen. Hallelujah. So I wanted you to see that. Now listen to this verse. Luke 5.13 said that people came to hear and to be healed. 
If they didn't hear, they couldn't get healed. Nobody Jesus healed was healed without faith. Nobody. There was no one that got healed without faith, and they couldn't get faith until they heard him. Hallelujah. So people go, well, I'm involved with missions and do this, all that, and that's great, but do it in faith. If you're not hearing, it's going to turn failures into lasting things. But if you're hearing, God's going to minister to you. He's going to talk to you. And faith is going to come and you're going to win. Hallelujah. Now, let me close with this verse. This is in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 19. I don't believe they have it up on the screen. I'll just uh, read it to you here in my notes here. It's a really powerful verse. It says, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet or hinds feet and he will make me walk on my high hills. Romans 18.33 says, He makes my hinds feet and sets me on high places. What's he talking about? That Hebrew word for, it's translated sometimes deer, it's actually talking in the Hebrew about a mountain goat. Did you know mountain goats are not afraid of heights. When you go home tonight, look up in Google. Look at mountain goats. You'll see them on cliffs, I mean vertical cliffs that are like this. And they're on there walking around, eating. I mean, just straight down. And we're talking rock cliffs with just little edges. And they're walking on there like this. No problem. Nibbling away. Now, why does God do that? Because the mountain goat, or even the deer are the same way, their back legs always follow where their front legs went. Unlike the way we walk, we're just kind of everywhere. That means they got complete balance. So wherever their front leg was, the back leg steps there. They can stand, they can go on an edge of a cliff, an edge with two feet with no problem because they have these hooves that are pointed that, that just hold them very steady, and their legs are just very strong. And it says, I'm going to make you like them, and you're not going to be afraid anymore of high places. You're not going to be afraid anymore of having great success. You're not going to be afraid anymore to reach high in your life. A lot of Christians are afraid to be successful. They're afraid to have abundance. They're afraid to do more, have more than enough. I don't want to deny God. No, he says that he's going to get rid of that fear out of you, just like it's out of the mountain goat, praise God. And you can go up those high places. Come on, praise God. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River app, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.